There is a ghost town high up in the Montana mountains, not far from Yellowstone. Few people know about it. The only road in and out fell into disrepair long ago. Getting there requires an intermediate climbing skill set. It can only be attempted when conditions are warm and dry, which around here amounts to a window of a couple of months each year. My grandfather spoke of it once. The story lacked detail, the particulars lost in the fog of memory, and Pop was never one to embellish once his recollection failed. It was a story he heard as a boy, of a silver mine up in the mountains, of a creature that called the forest home. It was no bear. It was no wolf. Whatever it was refused to share the land with the miners and the fledgling town built to support them. What followed was a massacre. The survivors abandoned the town and never returned. Last summer, Taylor and I hiked and camped for a week within Yellowstone National Park. We lucked out with the weather. We went off-grid and loved every minute. The last night, beside a whispering fire, we promised we would do it again. As the firmament above turned about the North Star, I told her about the ghost town. She breathed the story in. That's where we would go. A harsh winter is rendered tolerable by the promise of spring. It was the summer, though, that held my attention. A long break from school and a week in the mountains. It is a rare treat to do precisely what you most desire. The warmth of the sun brought with it an unbridled giddiness. The wait was almost over. We drove as far as we could, winding our way up between mountains stripped of the white caps of winter and smeared with green and blue and brown. Taylor rolled the car to a stop on the shoulder of a lonely dirt track. The crisp mountain air tempered the warmth of the sun. We shouldered our packs and climbed. What is left of the ghost town, as far as we knew, did not amount to much. The rangers fingered it on a map, though none had been up there. The location was an inherited knowledge. My grandfather could only guess as to the whereabouts. It's up there somewhere, he had said. When I told him our plans and that it was his story that inspired our destination, a smile gave way to pensiveness. He told me to be careful. I told him not to worry. The spruce trees thinned the higher we climbed. We scrambled up a rocky shoulder and Taylor checked the map. We were making good ground. If luck fell on our side, we would get there by sunset. An impassable chunk of vertical rock face led to a detour that cost us a couple of hours. It would have to be tomorrow. We camped in a clearing with a view of our destination across the plain. In the distance, the trees huddled together as if against the cool night air and obscured the X on the map. I wondered what we would find. There was a good chance little remained, perhaps a few stumps where a rudimentary wooden house once stood. We turned our attention to the sky and watched for shooting stars and agreed it didn't matter. Taylor woke me in the dead of the night. The half-moon hung low over the mountains. Her whispered words came out in bursts. My groggy brain took its time assembling them into something coherent. She had heard something, the crack of a tree branch, sharp and loud as if it had been snapped like a twig. And now there was a light. In the pale silver glow of the moon, I followed her outstretched hand. Hanging just above the horizon, a yellow light flickered. It gave the impression of a candle burning in a window. Except out here, there were no windows and no one to burn a candle. I could only offer vague solutions. An optical trick played by some atmospheric anomaly. A hunting group around a campfire, though this was not a usual place for such things. Whatever it was, it lay far enough away to pose no danger. What neither of us said is that it lay in the direction of our travel. We lay back down. For a time, I opened my right eye at intervals to check if the light remained. It did. 
and then I slept. We barely spoke in the morning and set off in the direction of the ghost town. I was anxious to uncover a mundane explanation for the light we saw the night before, the remains of a campfire, or some hermit living alone up in the mountains. The way Taylor kept her eyes on the trees ahead told me she was thinking the same. We entered into the thick patch of forest. The trees grew close and blocked the sun. Stray branches scratched at our bare legs. The ground undulated and I found myself instinctively following it down, and soon I was disoriented. Taylor took out the map and the GPS. Inexplicably, the GPS gave no signal and she turned her attention to the map. I ventured forwards until my boots stubbed against something solid. After a glance down, I jumped back. A wooden stake was driven into the hard earth. It had cracked about a foot above the ground, and whatever once had been above I could only guess at. But then more emerged from between the trees. To my left a clearing full of them. Wooden crosses arranged haphazardly, dozens of them. I called out to Taylor, my voice thin and small. I stepped through the cemetery, careful not to step on the ground directly in front of any cross, an old superstition difficult to kick. The crucifixes were rudimentary, simple planks of wood. Some were overtaken by rot, others preserved well enough to read an inscription across the horizontal member, names and dates. The congregation in the back corner contained no less than six, all with the same date, December 7, 1891. My grandfather's story, I thought. Probably cholera, Taylor said, voicing her own explanation. If there is anything left of that town, we must be close. Beyond the cemetery, the spruce thinned and the ground rose. We crested the slope, and there it was. The remains of the town stood on a plateau of hard earth. A few of the wooden houses remained as complete structures. The timber warped and cracked and bleached the color of the ground. A few more were relieved of roofs and parts of walls, leaving a fragile relic of what had been. My eyes swept up the sloping mountain beyond where a rusted red limb of mining equipment poked above the rocks. Taylor approached the closest house and pushed the door. The gentle force tore the door from its hinge and it slapped against the dirt interior of the house. Needles from the surrounding spruce littered the floor. She ventured inside. I lingered on the outside and examined a pair of grooves in the timber siding. The weather had worn the edges. I ran my fingers down them and wondered what could have made such marks. This is cool, Taylor said. She was right. Some of the houses contained old tables and chairs and bed frames left behind before the move back down the mountain. We found little else save a lone glass bottle half buried in the ground. We dumped our gear beside the house closest to the cemetery and set about scaling the rock in the direction of the mining equipment beyond. We found a crude staircase cut into the rock and powered to the top. What remained of the mining equipment amounted to an A-frame with a bucket on rails to extract the dirt and a few abandoned picks. A shaft cut into the earth and was soon swallowed by darkness. We could only guess at the depth. I scrambled up a slope beyond and sat on a small rock platform with a lookout over the valley below, my legs dangling over the side. In the distance, the mountains looked blue. We lingered there for a time until the sun kissed the peaks to the west. Tonight we would camp at the ghost town, and we would stay a few days. The first sign of trouble was my red windbreaker lying on the ground beside a half-collapsed house at the back of the ghost town. When we left, the windbreaker was packed tight into my backpack. Something had messed with my bag. It wouldn't be the first time. Squirrels or birds had done it before, 
but I was sure the windbreaker was deep down in my bag. It would take a persistent squirrel to get to it. A second option had my heart thumping. A bear. Our gear was a mess. Our clothes and sleeping bags were strewn across the ground. The small gas burner was upturned. My backpack had two parallel tears running top to bottom. I ran my hand over them like I had the two grooves in the siding on the house. This was no squirrel. Taylor picked up her black pan and turned it in her hand. She showed me. One side buckled inwards. Taylor gripped it and pulled at the metal to bring it back into shape. It did not budge. A bear, I said. It had to be. I fumbled in my bag for the canister of bear mace. My muscles tensed and my hands worked frantically until I found it, stored where I had left it. At least we still had that. We searched the ground and looked for bear tracks. The telltale wide paws and grouping of front and back legs together. I found a depression in the ground. I hovered my foot above the footprint. My shoe dwarfed in comparison, and no second print. Whatever came into our camp did so on two legs, and at the base of those two legs were extraordinary feet. It can't be true. Someone is messing with us. Taylor inspected the print. Neither of us had ever seen anything like it. I looked west and the sun was already gone, the sky turning a shade of orange at the horizon. Light would fade fast. We had few options. Whatever it was that had been here was not here now. We had planned to camp outside under the stars, but with something stalking the forest, we rolled our sleeping bags and mats inside one of the houses. At least it provided some semblance of security. We did not risk a fire. Darkness overwhelmed the light quickly and completely. Clouds rolled in from the west at nightfall. A light breeze carried a faint hint of moisture. The forecast had warned of possible storms. I stuck my head out one of the windows, and aside from a blurred smudge of the moon through the clouds, the sky gave no light. We were on edge. Inside the house it was deep, pitch black. I set the canister of bear mace beside my pillow, periodically palming it to make sure it was still there. Every crack and rustle from the forest had us twitching and turning our ears to the sound. I buried my head between my knees and wondered how I could tolerate the hours left until morning. I apologized to Taylor for suggesting we come out here. She laughed it off. We'd get through it and have an amazing story to tell. Her voice trembled. I don't know what time I fell asleep. When I woke, it was still dark and my pillow was wet. Light rain made a gentle rapping on the roof. A hole in the roof let through a small drip. I dragged my sleeping bag over to a dry section of the floor. In the distance, thunder rumbled, low and ominous. Then something else, closer. A crack from the forest. Not a twig, but something more substantial. And then a growl, low and deep. I shook Taylor awake. In the darkness we listened. Nothing. Had I dreamed it? No, I couldn't have. There was something out there. Should we risk turning on the torch? No. We had to be quiet. I closed my hands around the bear mace. The drumming on the roof intensified. The drip-drip of the leak in the roof turned to a constant dribble. A flash lit up the sky, and on its heels, a clap of thunder shook the flimsy structure we had chosen as our protector. The door flew open. I let out an involuntary scream. In the strengthening wind, the door flapped back and forth, rapping on the wall. I froze in place, fear rendering my muscles useless. Taylor made a rustling beside me, and I guessed she was moving for the door. Another flash of lightning confirmed my guess, the silhouette of Taylor fumbling in the dark for the door. She used the brief moment of light to gather her bearings and grip the door. A second flash followed the first, and through the doorway, 
a figure emerged. Big and black, it was no bear. In the moment of light, it looked stationary, but my imagination soon put it in motion, lumbering for the open door. Shut the door, I yelled. Taylor clapped shut the door, and a deep growl mixed with the thunder. Help me, Taylor screamed. Her voice shifted my brain into gear. I jumped up and scrambled forwards and fell into the door. I braced my legs and pressed my shoulder against the old and cracked timber. Did you see it? I asked. Yes. What was that? I don't know. Guilt flooded my brain. It had been my idea to come out here. I had pushed for a second summer in the mountains. Taylor could have joined her college friends in Mexico. This trip had been, at least in part, a sense of duty for her. I thought of the cemetery and the dozens of graves, the six on a single day. The scratch marks on the house were made by a powerful hand. The stories were true, at least in the important details. Something lived up here. Something that did not care to share its home with humans. Taylor's voice cut through my thoughts. Should we run? No. Run where? We had to stay together. The creature pushed at the door with such force I felt about as big and strong as a toddler. We pushed back, and the door slammed back into place. The timber pinched at my shoulder. I felt with my hands and found a split in the wood. The door would not hold much longer. Through the torrent of rain, the creature snorted and spat, its hot breath penetrating the crack in the door and blowing over my neck. It pushed a second time and that was enough. We fell to the ground, fragments of the splintered door clattering to the floor around us. I landed heavily on my right side, the canister of bear mace spilling from my grasp and rolling away into the darkness. I crawled after it, feeling in the dark, and expecting at any moment to be lifted in the air by my ankles. Behind me, Taylor screamed. It had her. Finally, the edge of my index finger hit the cold steel of the canister. I fumbled it into my hands and stood. I saw nothing in the darkness. The rain beat on the roof, and the wind howled, and the creature snarled, and in among it all I found no compass. I prepared to fire the mace in random hope and hesitated a second, enough for a jagged fork of lightning to illuminate the sky. The animal held Taylor close to its chest in the corner of the room. I jumped a single step, and as the world went dark again I sprayed and hoped. The creature wailed in pain, and Taylor thudded to the ground at my feet. Heavy footsteps sloshed on the sodden ground outside the house and then stopped. He wasn't gone yet. I stepped out into the rain. The waterlogged ground saturated my woolen socks. The rain fell thick and cold. A freezing wind took the warmth from my body. I listened. I waited. I shivered. The first dose may not have sent it fleeing to the forest, but a second might. Where was the lightning? Was the storm spent? A hand gripped my bicep. It pulled me close. Lightning lit up the sky. My face was inches from his, eyes eerily human. A thick mat of black hair soaked from the rain. With my free hand, I pushed the canister to his flat nose and sprayed. He threw his hands in the air and lifted me clean off the ground. For a moment I felt weightless and then came crashing back down. Soggy footfalls faded into the distance. It was gone. We huddled in the back corner of the house until daybreak. With the rising of the sun, the rain turned to drizzle and finally stopped. We kicked at the fragments of the splintered door. Outside, several vague footprints pressed into the mud, partially destroyed by the rain. We gathered our things and began the walk home. The crosses standing in the cemetery hammered home that we had been lucky. Before commencing our descent down the shoulder of the rock, I turned and looked back up the slope. 
In the gloom, a lone light shone on the hill where the ghost town and the cemetery stood. Not a welcome light, but a warning. My name is Jack Wells. I'm a rugged kind of guy, the sort who's always preferred the company of whispering pines to crowded city streets. Nick and Sam are the same, my brothers in arms, even though we share no blood between us. It was the end of June, the perfect time for our annual ritual, a hunting trip deep into the heart of Washington State's wilderness. Nick, the lion-hearted jokester of our trio, was hunched over a map of the Pacific Northwest, his finger tracing the path we'd take into the belly of the forest. You ready to bag us a trophy, Jackie boy? He asked, a cocky grin splitting his face. Nick had a way of turning everything into a competition, but that was part of his charm. Sam, on the other hand, was as still and deep as a mountain lake. He was the yin to Nick's yang, always listening, always observing, our unofficial guide and guru. Sam had been born with a gift for understanding the rhythms of nature in a way that had always fascinated me. As for me, I was just a simple man, caught somewhere between Nick's bravado and Sam's tranquility. I found my joy in the simplicity of our expeditions, the feel of the earth beneath my boots, the smell of gunpowder and pine, the silence that comes only when you're miles away from civilization. Our equipment was laid out meticulously. Rifles, ammunition, camping gear, everything we'd need for a week of hunting in the untamed wild. Nick held up a new hunting knife, light glinting off its polished edge. Just in case we meet a grizzly, he said with a smirk, tucking it into his belt. As we finished our packing, the sun was starting to set, casting long shadows across the dense evergreen forest surrounding our launching point. We stood there, three friends bound by mutual respect, shared laughter, and a love for the wild. We raised our beers in a toast, the amber liquid shimmering in the dying light. To the wilderness, where men are made and legends are born, Nick announced, his voice echoing into the silence. We drank, the taste of hops and barley mingling with the anticipation of the adventure that awaited us. Little did we know, our camaraderie and courage would be tested in ways we could never have imagined. If I'd known then what awaited us in the depths of those shadowy woods, I might have turned back, might have chosen the safety and comfort of the known. But that's the thing about life. You can never foresee what's waiting around the next bend. And so with the laughter of good friends echoing in the crisp air and a sense of adventure burning in our hearts, we set off into the vast wilderness, oblivious to the fact that this trip would be nothing like the ones that had come before. As we made our way through the small town that marked the end of civilization and the beginning of wilderness, I felt a change in the atmosphere. The buildings gave way to trees, the traffic noise replaced by the rustling leaves and the distant call of an unseen bird. It was just what we came for, just what we loved. Our last stop was a small supply store, a hodgepodge of equipment, canned food, and an old Native American man behind the counter who greeted us with an almost imperceptible nod. His wrinkled face was like a map of time, eyes like ancient lakes, hiding secrets deeper than we could fathom. Headed to the forest, are you? He asked, his voice a deep resonating hum that seemed to vibrate with the rhythm of the earth. We are, Nick replied cheerily. Time for our annual trophy hunt. The old man's gaze hardened. You must respect the spirits of the forest, he said. This is not just any forest. It's an ancient place with spirits older than the stones. Take only what you need, give more than you take. Nick laughed it off, 
assuming it was all a part of the local charm. He slapped some bills on the counter for our purchases and spun a reply with his trademark irreverence. Sure thing, old man. We'll play nice with the forest spirits. The man simply shook his head, his eyes meeting mine. They held an intensity that made me uncomfortable, that made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. There was a warning in his gaze, a plea maybe for us to heed his words. Outside, the air seemed colder, the sky grayer. Sam was quiet. He had always been more attuned to the nuances of people and places, his intuition often proving eerily accurate. I noticed him staring at the old man's shop, a faraway look in his eyes. What's up, Sam? I asked. He shrugged, but his gaze remained thoughtful. Did you feel that in there, Jack? That heaviness? I knew what he meant. The old man's words echoed in my mind as we packed our new supplies into the truck. I tried to shrug it off, tried to laugh along with Nick's jokes about forest spirits and spooky old men, but a tiny seed of unease had been planted. As we drove towards the forest, the wilderness stretching out before us like a sea of emerald and shadow, I couldn't shake off the feeling that this trip might not be as straightforward as we thought. Would we, could we, respect the spirits of the forest? The old man's words were like a ghostly refrain, a chilling prelude to the heart of the wilderness we were so eager to conquer. We drove on, the unknown waiting for us among the towering trees and the cryptic whispers of the wind. I looked at Nick and Sam, my friends, my brothers. This was our adventure, our challenge. Only the forest knew what lay ahead. There's something about crossing the threshold into wilderness that sets the spirit soaring. The road turned into a trail, and the signs of human existence faded away. It was just us, our gear, and an untouched world that stretched out in every direction. Home sweet home, Nick announced, the grin on his face reflecting the sheer joy we all felt. We set up our camp near a clear stream that sang a constant soothing melody. The air smelled of pine, soil, and something raw, something untouched. The grandeur of the Washington forest enveloped us, and we lost ourselves in its wild embrace. Nick and Sam busied themselves setting up the tents and arranging our gear, while I took a walk around, marking familiar landmarks and getting a feel of the area. The forest felt alive like it was breathing alongside us, an ancient entity watching silently. My mind went back to the old man's warning, but I brushed it off, blaming it on the vastness of the forest playing tricks on my mind. Our first day melted into the evening as we gathered around a hearty campfire. We cooked our meal, the smell of grilling meat mingling with the smoky scent of burning wood. The trees around us seemed like silent sentinels, standing guard over the secrets of the wilderness. As the night descended, we swapped tales of past hunting expeditions, our laughter echoing through the stillness. Nick, ever the entertainer, regaled us with wildly exaggerated stories. Sam listened, his eyes twinkling with amusement as he added his own humorous anecdotes. And I felt at home, in this tiny pocket of light and warmth in the vast, mysterious wilderness. As we crawled into our tents, I remember looking up at the night sky, the stars seemingly brighter and closer here in the wilderness. The noises of the forest, the rustling, the hoots, the distant howls, were the soundtrack to our dreams. We were hunters, adventurers, ready for the thrill that the new day would bring. Little did we know, the forest was more than just trees and trails. We drifted off to sleep, our minds filled with visions of the hunt, our bodies one with the rhythm of the forest. The wilderness was our home, our playground, 
and we were ready to discover its every nook and corner. We were in our element, ready for adventure, completely oblivious to what the forest was about to reveal. Our journey had just begun, our spirits high, our minds filled with anticipation. As I closed my eyes, the sound of the flowing stream lulling me to sleep, I felt a strange sense of peace, a deep connection to this ancient land. It was just the first day, and already the forest had started to speak. We just didn't know its language yet. Daybreak in the forest was a spectacle to behold. The first rays of the sun painted the sky in hues of pink and orange, while the morning mist cloaked the trees in an ethereal veil. We woke up, ready for the thrill of the hunt, the allure of the wilderness strong in our hearts. But as we set about our morning chores, I couldn't help but notice something off. It was a slight discomfort, like a pebble in your shoe, not enough to cause pain, but enough to grab your attention. The forest seemed different somehow, its morning noises subdued, its atmosphere denser. As we ventured deeper into the forest, the strange sensation grew. The silence was thicker, the air cooler, the shadows longer. I noticed Sam's brow furrow in deep thought, while Nick kept glancing back over his shoulder, an unconscious gesture betraying his unease. We're not alone, Sam whispered, stopping to listen to the sounds of the forest. I laughed it off, trying to lighten the mood. Of course we're not. There's plenty of deer, maybe a few bears. That's why we're here, remember? That night, as we settled in our tents, the usual sounds of the forest were replaced by unfamiliar noises. It was as if the forest had come alive with creatures we had never encountered before. There were faint rustlings, the snap of a twig, and the sound of heavy footfalls, all too close for comfort. And then, the footprints. One morning, we woke up to find large, unidentifiable footprints around our camp. They were much bigger than any human or animal we knew of, their size and pattern strange and frightening. The footprints circled our camp before disappearing into the dense forest. Nick was the first to voice our collective unease. You don't think it could be a... He started, but the word died on his lips. We all knew what he was thinking, but it was too absurd, too unbelievable. We were hunters, after all, not the hunted. We were here to conquer the wilderness, not be consumed by it. But as we continued our journey, as we ventured deeper into the heart of the forest, I couldn't shake off the feeling that we were being watched, followed, and scrutinized. For the first time since we began our annual trips, I felt a shiver of fear creep down my spine. The forest was no longer just a playground, an adventure. It had become a mystery, a riddle that was slowly starting to reveal its dark secrets. We were no longer just hunters. We were intruders in a world we barely understood, participants in a game where we didn't know the rules. The forest was speaking, louder and clearer now, and we had no choice but to listen. The discovery of the footprints had undeniably shaken us all. The jovial spirit of our hunting trip had been replaced with an undercurrent of unease, a feeling of dread that hung in the air like an unwelcome guest. That evening, we sat around the fire, its flickering light casting long, dancing shadows on the ground. The discussion of the day turned to the strange occurrences, the footprints, the unusual sounds, the sensation of being watched. Nick was the first to break the silence. What do we make of it? A bear? Cougar, perhaps? He tried to keep his tone light, but I saw the worry lurking in the corners of his eyes. Sam, on the other hand, was deep in thought. He had been quiet all day, his brow furrowed as if wrestling with an unsolvable problem. 
I don't think it's a bear or a cougar, he finally said, his voice low and heavy. But what else could it be, I asked, hoping to bring some rationality to our growing fears. A prank by other campers, perhaps? A prank? In the middle of nowhere? Unlikely, Sam replied, shaking his head. He looked into the fire, lost in thought, then finally voiced the unspeakable. Have you guys ever heard of the Sasquatch? The Bigfoot? Nick laughed, a loud forced sound that echoed hollowly in the silence of the night. You can't be serious, Sam. Bigfoot? That's just a myth. A tall tale. But Sam was serious. He recounted stories he had heard, local legends and tales of encounters with the elusive creature. It sounded crazy, but the pieces of the puzzle were falling into place. The strange footprints, the eerie sounds, the inexplicable feeling of being watched. Yet, I couldn't accept it. Those are just stories, Sam. Folklore. We're not going to abandon our trip because of some old wives' tale. Sam shook his head. It's not about abandoning the trip, Jack. It's about understanding what we're dealing with. We need to be careful. We're not alone in these woods. That night, as I lay in my tent, I couldn't help but question everything we had experienced so far. Was it just our minds playing tricks? Or were we truly in the territory of something unexplained? Something beyond our understanding? The sounds of the forest were no longer comforting. They held a note of menace. A warning, perhaps. Fear had made a home in our hearts, its icy fingers slowly tightening their grip. As I drifted off to sleep, one thought circled in my mind. We were in the heart of a mystery, on the edge of an unknown frontier, and we had a decision to make, a path to choose. Little did we know, the choice had already been made for us. We woke up the next day with the sense of unease still hanging heavy in the air. Breakfast was a quiet affair, our conversations hushed and forced. The forest, too, seemed to share in our disquiet, its usual morning chorus replaced with an uncanny silence. We decided to continue our exploration, the thrill of the hunt now tinged with a touch of dread. We stepped into the heart of the forest, the towering trees standing sentinel, the shadows harboring secrets. Every rustle, every snap of a twig sent our hearts racing. We were a few hours into the day when it happened. A rustling in the bushes ahead made us freeze in our tracks. I squinted, trying to make out what was moving among the foliage. Then it stepped out into the clearing, and my breath hitched in my throat. Standing tall and covered in hair, with broad shoulders and piercing eyes, it was no bear, no cougar. It was no animal we had ever encountered before. It looked at us, its gaze steady, assessing, intelligent. A wave of fear washed over me a primal, paralyzing fear that rooted me to the spot. The creature looked at us for what seemed like an eternity, then turned and vanished into the forest with a speed that was shocking. The silence that followed was deafening. We stood there, still frozen, our minds struggling to comprehend what we had just witnessed. It was Sam who finally broke the silence. His voice was shaky, but his eyes were alight with a strange mix of fear and fascination. It's real. Bigfoot is real. Nick didn't say anything. His face was pale, his eyes wide in shock. He looked at Sam and then at me, his usual bravado nowhere to be found. I could see the fear in his eyes, reflecting my own. The rest of the day was a blur. We moved through the forest in a daze, our senses heightened, our hearts pounding. The thrill of the hunt had been replaced with a primal instinct, the instinct to survive, to escape the unknown. As we returned to the camp, I couldn't help but reflect on the day's events. 
We had come to the forest as hunters, adventurers seeking a thrill. But now, we were the ones being hunted, stalked by a creature straight out of a legend. That night, as I lay in my tent, the sounds of the forest took on a new, terrifying meaning. We were in the territory of the Bigfoot, the master of this wilderness. We had wanted an adventure, a story to tell, and we had found it in the heart of the Washington forest, in the form of a creature as fascinating as it was terrifying. The forest had revealed its secret, and we were left with a choice, to fight or to flee. But as the sound of heavy footfalls echoed in the distance, I knew that the decision was out of our hands. The real adventure was just beginning. The dawn of the new day brought no respite from the fear and uncertainty that had taken hold of us. The forest was no longer the serene wilderness we had admired. It was now a living entity, shrouded in mystery and danger. We were in the realm of the Bigfoot, and there was no denying it. The morning was spent in intense discussions. The question was no longer about the existence of the Bigfoot. We had seen it, experienced its presence. The question now was, what were we going to do about it? Nick was the first to voice the fear that gripped our hearts. We need to get out of here. We're not equipped to handle this. He gestured towards the wilderness around us, his face ashen. Sam, however, disagreed. We came here for an adventure, didn't we? And now we have it. We've discovered something incredible. We can't just turn our backs and run. But what if it's dangerous? Nick argued. What if it attacks? I found myself torn between the two. Nick was right. We were hunters, not scientists or researchers. We had no idea how to deal with the situation, how to handle an encounter with a Bigfoot. But Sam was right, too. We had stumbled upon something amazing, something very few people had experienced. It was an opportunity, a chance to explore the unknown. As the day wore on, the debate continued, with no clear consensus in sight. The fear was palpable, but so was the curiosity. The Bigfoot had thrown our trip into chaos, turned our world upside down. But it had also offered us an adventure, a story, a discovery that was nothing short of extraordinary. In the end, we decided to stay, at least for a while. We agreed to keep a safe distance, to observe and learn, but not provoke. The forest was the Bigfoot's territory, and we were the intruders. It was essential to respect that, to understand our place in this wilderness. That night, we took turns keeping watch, our ears tuned to the sounds of the forest. Every rustle, every distant howl sent a chill down our spines, but we were determined to stay. We were no longer just hunters on a trip, we were explorers on a mission, faced with a mystery that was both thrilling and terrifying. As I sat by the dying embers of our fire, the moon casting long shadows on the forest floor, I felt a strange sense of anticipation. The encounter with the Bigfoot had changed everything. It had transformed our trip into an adventure of a lifetime, but it had also marked the beginning of a battle, a struggle between our fear and our curiosity. We were on the edge of the known world, staring into the abyss of the unknown, and there was no turning back. Our days in the forest took on a new rhythm, dictated not by the thrill of the hunt, but by the suspense of the unknown. We moved carefully, keeping our eyes and ears open, our hearts thumping with a mix of fear and anticipation. The Bigfoot made its presence felt in the strange rustlings of the underbrush, the large footprints that seemed to appear out of nowhere, and the eerie sense of being watched that never left us. Yet, it maintained its distance, 
a shadowy figure that seemed to hover on the fringes of our perception, an enigma that challenged us to confront our fears and doubts. One afternoon, as we were cautiously navigating the dense forest, we had our second encounter. I saw it first, a large figure lurking in the shadows. It was standing tall, its eyes boring into mine. There was a moment of stillness, a silence that seemed to stretch for an eternity. And then, it moved. The Bigfoot stepped into the clearing, its movements smooth and swift. It looked at us, not with aggression or fear, but with what I could only describe as curiosity. The creature radiated a quiet power, a primal strength that commanded respect. It raised its hand, as if acknowledging our presence. I was taken aback, unsure of how to respond. I raised my hand in return, a simple gesture that held so much significance in that moment. There was a strange serenity to the encounter, a surreal sense of connection. We were intruders in its world, yet it had chosen to acknowledge us, to accept our presence. It was a moment of understanding, a silent agreement between species. The Bigfoot held our gaze for a moment longer, then turned and disappeared into the forest, leaving us in awe of the experience. The forest seemed to breathe around us, the leaves whispering stories of their silent watcher. That night, as we gathered around the fire, our conversation was filled with wonder and speculation. We recounted the encounter, each detail etched into our memories, each moment a testament to the unbelievable reality we were living. We're a part of something bigger than us, Sam said, looking into the fire with a faraway expression. We're witnesses to a secret this forest has held close for centuries. Nick nodded, his fear replaced by a newfound sense of respect. We're not just hunters or explorers, we're learners, understanding a world we never knew existed. As I lay in my tent that night, the sounds of the forest lulling me to sleep, I realized how much our journey had transformed us. We had come to the forest as hunters, seeking thrill and adventure. We had found much more. In the heart of the Washington wilderness, in the eyes of the Bigfoot, we had discovered a truth about ourselves and the world we inhabit. We were a part of a larger tapestry of life, a web of connections that extended beyond our comprehension. Our adventure had turned into a journey of discovery, not just of the Bigfoot, but of our own courage and curiosity. We were no longer just hunters. We were part of a story that the forest was narrating, a story of respect, understanding, and coexistence. And the story was far from over. Our time in the forest fell into a routine, a rhythm dictated by the enigmatic creature we now knew as our silent companion. We continued our observations, careful not to intrude or provoke, to respect the boundary between us and the Bigfoot. But one fateful day, our unspoken agreement was broken. We had ventured deeper into the forest, navigating through the dense underbrush, when we heard a chilling sound, a growl, deep and resonating, a warning we couldn't ignore. Emerging from the foliage, we saw it, a second Bigfoot. It was larger, more intimidating, its eyes gleaming with a feral intensity that sent a jolt of fear through us. It bared its teeth, a clear sign of aggression, a message meant to deter. Before we could react, the original Bigfoot we had been observing appeared. It positioned itself between us and the aggressive creature, its body language reflecting a strange sense of protectiveness. A silent confrontation ensued, the two Bigfoots sizing each other up. Then without warning, the aggressive Bigfoot lunged, and our peaceful observation turned into a scene from a nature documentary. The fight was intense, a display of power and dominance that left us in awe. 
the protective Bigfoot managed to repel the attacker, using its size and strength to drive it back into the wilderness. Once the aggressive Bigfoot was gone, our protector turned towards us. It stood there for a moment, its gaze lingering on us before it, too, disappeared into the forest. We returned to our camp in silence, each of us processing the unexpected events of the day. The encounter had revealed a new side of the Bigfoot, a society, a hierarchy, a territorial dispute we hadn't anticipated. That night, sitting around the fire, we realized the complexity of the situation we were in. We were not just observing a creature, we were intruding into a society, a culture that was as fascinating as it was daunting. Our presence here dot 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 it quote s causing disturbances, Nick said, voicing the concern that had been gnawing at us. We need to be more careful, Sam agreed. We're guests in their world. We need to remember that. As I lay in my tent, my mind replayed the day's events. Our adventure had taken a dangerous turn, our role as observers threatening the balance of this unexplored society. The Bigfoot had protected us, but it had also served us a clear message. We were treading on delicate grounds. The thrill of our discovery was now overshadowed by the implications of our intrusion. We had set out as hunters, become observers, and were now unwanted intruders. The forest had revealed its secret, and we had a responsibility to respect it, to tread carefully in this uncharted territory. Our journey was no longer about thrill or discovery. It was about understanding and respect. The Bigfoot had entrusted us with its secret, and we were obliged to honor it. As the sounds of the forest lulled me to sleep, I made a silent promise. We would tread lightly, learn humbly, and respect deeply. The adventure was far from over, but our perspective had forever changed. In the days that followed, our interactions with the forest and its elusive inhabitants took on a new dynamic. We limited our explorations, maintaining a respectful distance from the areas frequented by the Bigfoot. We had become a part of this ecosystem, albeit temporary, and we were intent on causing no harm. Despite the precautions, we had another encounter. This time, it was a group of Bigfoots, including the one that had protected us. They watched us from a distance, their eyes filled with a curious intelligence. It was a peaceful encounter, a silent acknowledgement of each other's presence. The experience solidified our resolve. We were intruders, yes, but we were also learners. We had come face to face with a legend, a creature whose existence had been debated for centuries. We had a responsibility to document our experience, to share it with the world, but in a way that did not endanger these creatures or their habitat. We began compiling our observations, taking notes and sketches, ensuring we recorded every detail of our interactions with the Bigfoot. The nights were spent around the fire, sharing our thoughts and insights, discussing theories and speculations. Our hunting trip had transformed into a research expedition, an unexpected twist that was as exhilarating as it was humbling. As the days rolled on, I felt a growing sense of connection with the forest and its inhabitants. The Bigfoots, with their quiet strength and intelligence, their sense of community, and their clear attachment to their home, were more than just elusive creatures of folklore. They were a testament to the rich tapestry of life on Earth, a stark reminder of our role as stewards of this planet. As our last days in the forest approached, we knew we had a challenging task ahead. We had a story to tell, a truth to reveal, but it had to be done right. The world deserved to know about the Bigfoot, but the Bigfoot also deserved to live in peace, 
away from the prying eyes and potential threats of mankind. Our final night in the forest was filled with a strange sense of melancholy. We sat around the fire, lost in our thoughts, the crackling flames casting long shadows on the forest floor. We had ventured into the wilderness seeking an adventure and had found so much more, a secret world, a profound understanding, and a responsibility we hadn't anticipated. As I lay in my tent, the sounds of the forest lulling me to sleep for the last time, I couldn't help but feel grateful. The forest had allowed us into its fold, trusted us with its secret. The Bigfoot, with its silent wisdom, had taught us more about respect and coexistence than any human ever could. As we prepared to leave the forest behind, our hearts heavy, but our spirits enlightened, we knew we were leaving a part of ourselves behind, but we were also taking something with us, a story, a truth, a pledge, a pledge to protect and respect, to remember and to share, to tread lightly and to learn humbly, and above all, a pledge to remember that we were not just hunters, observers, or intruders. We were a part of this incredible tapestry of life, and we had a responsibility to honor it. Leaving the forest was harder than we had anticipated. We packed our gear in silence, each absorbed in our own thoughts. The wilderness that had initially seemed daunting and wild had become a comforting presence, its inhabitants our silent companions. As we made our final checks, ensuring that we left no trace of our stay, a quiet rustling caught our attention. Emerging from the foliage, the Bigfoot that had first shown us this secret world stood at the edge of our camp. Our gazes met, a silent farewell passing between us. We had ventured into its world, brought chaos and change, but we had also learned. We had witnessed its life, its culture, and we were walking away with a deeper understanding of our world and our place in it. With a last lingering look, the Bigfoot turned and retreated into the forest, disappearing amongst the towering trees and dense undergrowth. It felt like an end, but also a beginning, a promise of coexistence, understanding, and respect. The hike back was quiet, our minds busy processing our extraordinary adventure. The forest, now familiar and comforting, seemed to whisper its farewell, the rustling leaves, chirping birds, and distant howls a symphony of sounds that we had learned to understand and appreciate. Back at the vehicle, we loaded our gear, the tangible proof of our adventure. But the real proof, the real treasure, was intangible. It was in our minds, our hearts, a part of us that we would carry wherever we went. The drive back was filled with stories, theories, and plans. How would we share our discovery? How could we ensure the safety and peace of the Bigfoots? What would this mean for us, for the world? Nick, ever the pragmatist, outlined a plan. We need to approach this responsibly. We have evidence, yes, but we also have a responsibility. We can't let our discovery endanger them. Sam nodded, his eyes filled with a determined resolve. We can change the narrative, influence the way the world sees and interacts with these creatures. We have a chance to make a real difference. As the familiar cityscape came into view, I realized how much we had changed. We had entered the forest as hunters, seeking thrill and adventure. We were returning as advocates, ambassadors of a secret world, custodians of an incredible truth. That night, in the comfort of my home, the sounds of the city a stark contrast to the symphony of the forest, I found myself missing the wilderness. I missed the sense of connection, the thrill of discovery, the humbling experience of being a small part of a larger whole. But I knew we had made the right decision. We had been entrusted with a secret, 
and we had a duty to protect it. Our adventure in the Washington forest was over, but our journey was just beginning. We were no longer just buddies on a hunting trip. We were a team on a mission. A mission to share a story, change a narrative, and ensure the protection of a creature that had remained hidden for too long. Our story had begun with the sighting of a Bigfoot, but it was far from over. The real challenge was yet to come, and we were ready for it. The weeks after our return were a whirlwind. We carefully compiled our evidence, consulted with experts, and meticulously prepared our narrative. Our hunting trip had become a phenomenon, and we were on the precipice of sharing it with the world. The media buzzed with speculations and theories as we announced our discovery. We faced skeptics, believers, and those eager for sensationalism. The world was on the edge of its seat, waiting to hear our story. And so we told our story. We shared our experiences, the thrill of the hunt turning into an unexpected adventure. We unveiled our evidence, the pictures and videos that substantiated our claims. We showed them the world we had stumbled upon, a secret society thriving in the heart of the Washington wilderness. The reactions were varied and intense. Excitement, disbelief, fascination, fear. We had opened Pandora's box, and there was no turning back. Yet, amidst the chaos, we held our ground. We emphasized our responsibility, our obligation to protect and respect these creatures, to learn from them without endangering them. As the dust settled, we found ourselves in an unexpected position. We were the ambassadors of the Bigfoot, a link between two worlds. We had become advocates, using our platform to educate and influence, to encourage responsible behavior and respect for these incredible creatures. The world was now aware of the Bigfoot. The legend was now a reality. But our story was far from over. We had opened a new chapter in human understanding, but the narrative was still being written. We had a long road ahead, filled with challenges and opportunities. Every now and then, I find myself back in the Washington wilderness, standing at the edge of the familiar forest. The forest calls to me, a siren song filled with memories and lessons, a reminder of the incredible adventure that changed our lives. I think of the Bigfoot, a silent observer in its world, a symbol of strength, intelligence, and mystery. I think of the lessons it taught us, the truth it revealed, the responsibility it entrusted us with. Our journey began as a hunt, seeking thrill and adventure. It ended with a profound understanding of our world, a bond with an elusive creature, a promise to respect and protect, and a mission that was bigger than ourselves. As I stand there, the sounds of the forest surrounding me, I can't help but feel a sense of gratitude. We had ventured into the unknown and emerged with more than just a story. We had discovered a truth about ourselves, our world, and our place in it. Our story began with a sighting, a thrilling encounter that changed our lives. But it didn't end there. It became a mission, a journey, an ongoing narrative that would continue to evolve and inspire. The forest whispers its secrets, the wind rustles through the leaves, and somewhere deep within its heart, I know the Bigfoot continues to thrive, a guardian of its world, a symbol of our promise. Our adventure was over, but our journey was just beginning. The story of the Bigfoot was far from finished, and we were its narrators, its protectors, its voice. Our story had started with a hunt, but it had become so much more. It was our unfinished story, a story of respect, understanding, and coexistence, and we were ready to continue telling it.
If you've never left the city's concrete maze, you wouldn't know how relentlessly the wilderness calls. It whispers in the rustle of pamphlets boasting trails flanked by towering trees, echoes in online reviews of an alluring, untouched world, and roars in the silence of star-strewn nights. It was this call that had nudged my wife, Sarah, a fearless biologist with a fascination for all things wild, to convince me, a mild-mannered schoolteacher with a penchant for comfort, to swap our cozy apartment for a tent under the infinite skies of the Mount Baker Snoqualmie National Forest. From the moment we decided, Sarah was like a woman possessed. Maps sprawled across our kitchen table, merging with checklists of equipment, food supplies, and first aid kits. I found myself swept up in her enthusiasm, my fears drowned in the ocean of her excitement. After all, how often do you get a chance to shrug off the city's noise and breathe in the tranquility of untouched nature? The weeks preceding the trip were a flurry of preparations. Every evening after school, I returned to find a new camping gadget or a book on wilderness survival delivered at our doorstep. We learned to set up our new tent in the living room, braved the strange-tasting dehydrated meals, and Sarah, bless her heart, attempted to teach me to read a compass. My little misadventure with the North and South Needles soon became a running joke between us. Although I shared Sarah's excitement, I would be lying if I said I wasn't apprehensive. You see, the wilderness, for all its beauty, is still a foreign world to a city dweller like me. While Sarah saw an opportunity to immerse herself in the raw majesty of nature, I saw a world devoid of my daily conveniences, a hot shower, a comfortable bed, a coffee shop around the corner. But there was something infectious about Sarah's enthusiasm, something pure and childlike that made it impossible for me to deny her this. I remember the night before we left. Our apartment was a chaos of half-packed backpacks and camping equipment. I was trying to squeeze an extra pair of socks into my already overstuffed pack when I noticed Sarah. She stood by the window, bathed in the soft glow of the city lights, staring into the vastness of the night sky. In her eyes, I saw a reflection of the wilderness we were about to step into. Vast, untamed, beautiful, and a tad bit frightening. Sarah, I called out to her. Are you scared? She turned, a soft smile playing on her lips. No, David, she replied. I'm just excited. This is going to be an adventure. And so, with an equal mix of trepidation and anticipation, we prepared to answer the call of the wild. Little did we know then that it was an invitation into an adventure that would forever change our lives. The city was still waking up, rubbing sleep from its eyes, as Sarah and I slipped away into the dawn. The world beyond our city limits was a blur of colors as we sped towards the embrace of the wilderness. Mount Baker Snoqualmie National Forest revealed itself gradually, like a masterpiece shy of its beauty. Its boundaries seemed arbitrary, the trees growing denser, the air fresher, and the sounds of city life fading into a hushed silence that was only interrupted by the calls of birds and the occasional rustle of leaves. Sarah's eyes sparkled with undisguised excitement, her hand tightening around mine, a silent promise of shared adventure. We found a perfect spot for our camp beside a clear brook, surrounded by a thick copse of trees and sheltered by a rocky outcrop. As Sarah busied herself with the tent, I gathered wood for our campfire. The manual tasks, mundane in our city life, took on a new significance in the wild, amplifying our connection with nature. After setting up camp, we decided to explore. 
we wandered into the forest with no real destination in mind. The moss-coated trunks, the symphony of unseen creatures, and the overwhelming sense of being enveloped in a world untouched by human hands. It was both intimidating and mesmerizing. Sarah walked ahead, her biologist eyes taking in everything, stopping every now and then to point out a unique plant species or animal tracks. As the sun began its descent, we returned to our campsite. I tended to the fire while Sarah prepared our meal. The flames danced against the encroaching darkness, casting long, exaggerated shadows on our tent. I remember thinking how small we seemed against the vastness of the wilderness, a fleeting thought chased away by Sarah's infectious laughter echoing into the night. But amid the joy, there was something else, a strange feeling I couldn't quite shake. The forest, while beautiful, was also alien, almost eerie in its serenity. As darkness wrapped the world around us in its blanket, I felt an unease creeping in. I shrugged it off, attributing it to being my first night in the wild. We are just visitors here, David, Sarah said, as if sensing my unease. Her voice was soft, almost reverent. We have to respect the rules of the wild. I nodded, lost in thought, staring into the flames, the shadows dancing around us growing taller. The wilderness in all its grandeur felt intimidating. The unfamiliar sounds of the forest seemed louder, the darkness denser. Yet next to me was Sarah, her face illuminated by the firelight, humming a gentle melody that weaved through the night, harmonizing with the chorus of the wild. I looked at her, this woman who loved nature with all her heart, and felt a sense of calm. As we crawled into our tent, the forest humming its lullaby, I realized that the wilderness was not just a place on the map. It was an entity, alive and breathing, beautiful and daunting. It was a world we were only beginning to understand, a world that held secrets beneath its canopy, secrets we were yet to uncover. Little did we know then that some secrets are better left undiscovered. We woke to a symphony of birdsong and a day that dawned bright and promising. We eased into the morning with a simple breakfast and a steaming cup of coffee. It wasn't the gourmet brew from the corner cafe back home, but something about the crisp air and the peaceful surroundings lent it a unique flavor that I had never tasted before. Post-breakfast, as we planned our day, Sarah pointed out something strange. Around our campsite were large footprints, far bigger than any human or animal we knew. They dotted the soft earth leading to and away from our camp, a disturbing narration of a nocturnal visitor. My first thought was a bear, but Sarah, crouched beside one of the prints with a puzzled frown, disagreed. She pointed out the peculiar features, the shape, the number of toes. It didn't match any animal she could think of. Her biologist brain kicked into gear, and she meticulously photographed and measured the prints, her initial surprise transforming into scientific curiosity. Adding to the puzzle was our depleted food supply. A sack of fruits we'd hung on a tree branch was missing. The twine we had used to secure it dangled empty, torn, and frayed. While I couldn't suppress my rising apprehension, Sarah dismissed it as common occurrences in the wild. She suggested it could be the work of an animal attracted to the smell of our food. I wanted to believe her, wanted to write off my fear as city-bred paranoia, but something felt off. Despite the unsettling discovery, we decided to stick to our plan. We spent the day hiking, admiring the grandeur of the ancient forest, its vastness a constant reminder of our insignificance. The towering trees stood like silent sentinels, their secrets whispering through the rustling leaves. 
My unease of the morning lingered at the back of my mind, but the daylight seemed to keep the fear at bay. As we returned to our camp at dusk, the forest was a riot of color, the setting sun painting the sky with hues of orange and red. We cooked our dinner by the campfire, the incidents of the morning relegated to mere anecdotes of our wilderness adventure. But as night blanketed the forest, the silence seemed deeper, the darkness denser. I couldn't shake off the feeling of being watched, the large footprints and missing food fueling my fears. I looked over at Sarah, hoping to find reassurance in her easy confidence. But beneath her calm demeanor, I noticed a spark of uncertainty. Her eyes scanned the darkness beyond the firelight, her cheerful banter replaced by a contemplative silence. In the safety of our tent, I clung to the comforting sound of Sarah's steady breathing. But sleep eluded me, the silence of the wilderness broken by unfamiliar sounds. Every rustle, every distant call seemed magnified, my imagination conjuring up images of large, shadowy figures. That night, the wilderness felt a little less welcoming, its mysteries a little less enchanting. Underneath the grandeur, a vague threat lurked, a chill of dread that transcended my city-bred fears. As I eventually drifted into an uneasy sleep, I couldn't help but wonder, were we the watchers or the watched? As the new day dawned, we woke to a world that seemed deceptively normal. The sun rose, casting long, vibrant streaks of orange and pink across the sky. The forest stirred with the rustle of leaves and the chatter of forest creatures. It was as if the fear of the previous night had dissolved with the morning dew. However, our peace was short-lived. As darkness fell that day, the forest changed. The transition was subtle, almost imperceptible, but there was a shift in the air, a growing tension that seemed to permeate every rustling leaf and whispering breeze. The silence was heavier, the darkness more profound. Our conversations faded into murmurs, our laughter quelled by an instinctive response to the unknown. The night brought with it a sense of dread that we could neither explain nor ignore. Then, it started, a low, guttural sound, echoing through the trees. At first it was distant, a disconcerting yet abstract menace, but with each passing minute it seemed to grow closer, more distinct. The sound was unlike anything we had ever heard before. It wasn't the howl of a wolf or the hoot of an owl, but something far more primal and chilling. Sarah, her face a picture of concentration, was trying to identify the source. Her extensive knowledge of wildlife seemed to fall short, her brows furrowing in confusion as the calls continued, sending cold shivers down our spines. We should stay inside the tent, she suggested, her voice lower than usual, laced with an unease she had never shown before. As much as I had wished to find comfort in her scientific temperament, her words only amplified my fears. Something was out there, something that didn't fit into our understanding of the wild. Within the safety of our tent, we huddled together. The nylon walls seemed paper-thin against the ominous chorus of the wilderness. The distant calls continued, punctuated by an eerie silence that was even more unsettling. Each sound, each pause, seemed to feed our imaginations the reality of our isolation becoming a palpable entity in the darkness. The line between fear and fascination blurred as we listened, caught between the desire to flee and the urge to uncover the mystery. We clung to each other, finding solace in our shared apprehension, our eyes wide open in the darkness, our ears attuned to the haunting melody of the wild. As the night grew deeper, so did our unease. 
The voices in the dark were now a permanent fixture of our nights, a chilling reminder of our place in this grand scheme of things. We were intruders in a world that belonged to them, the unseen creatures of the night. We had stepped into their territory, heard their calls, and felt their presence. I remember Sarah's words from that night, whispered in the dead silence. David, we're not alone. It was not a revelation, but a confirmation of a growing fear, a fear of the unknown, of the voices in the dark, of the eyes that might be watching, of the creature that left its footprints around our camp. That night, the forest lost some of its charm. It transformed from a world of adventure to a realm of the unknown. The calls continued until the first light of dawn, a grim serenade that held us captive, binding us in an anticipatory silence. As we lay awake listening, one thing became clear. Our idyllic escape had taken a sinister turn, our adventure evolving into a surreal, unsettling journey. The following days unfolded in a strange mixture of unease and fascination. Each morning we woke with the hope that the inexplicable events of the nights were a figment of our overactive imagination. However, every evening, the evidence of the mystery lurking in the wilderness manifested in some form. The footprints returned, circling our campsite, each one larger and deeper than before. One morning we found a pile of our belongings, water bottles, a rucksack, even our portable stove, stacked neatly outside our tent, as if arranged by an unseen visitor. The strange, guttural calls continued every night, growing closer, more resonant. We started to notice smaller signs, twigs and leaves arranged in patterns too deliberate to be an accident, half-eaten fruits placed near our tent, and a peculiar musky odor that seemed to hang heavy in the air around our camp. What unnerved us the most was the uncanny feeling of being watched, it was as if unseen eyes were constantly tracking our movements, a silent observer biding its time in the shadows of the towering trees. Our laughter dimmed, our conversations became hushed whispers, and an underlying tension crept into our relationship, our reactions mirroring the eerie transformation of the forest around us. One evening, as I was gathering wood for the fire, I felt a peculiar sensation. The hair on the back of my neck stood up, and a chill ran down my spine. I spun around, peering into the dense thicket, my heart pounding in my chest. I didn't see anything out of the ordinary, but the feeling of being observed was more intense than ever. I rushed back to the camp, throwing fleeting glances over my shoulder, the silence of the forest amplifying my sense of dread. Sarah noticed my anxiety, her eyes mirroring my fears. The usual comforting words were lost on us, both of us aware that something was amiss. We spent that night huddled together sleep eluding us. Our ears strained for any sound that wasn't part of the natural chorus of the wild. Each rustle, each snapping twig sent adrenaline coursing through our veins. The calls echoed around us, growing in intensity, the eerie soundscape of the wilderness punctuated by an ominous silence. Sarah, I whispered, my voice barely audible above the deafening silence. What is happening? I don't know, David, she admitted her voice trembling. I don't know. The fear in her voice sent a wave of icy dread through me. Sarah, the woman who had fearlessly ventured into the heart of the wilderness, the woman whose understanding of the wild was unrivaled, was afraid. As we sat in the enveloping darkness, the cold reality dawned on us. We were at the mercy of an unseen entity, a creature of the night, 
whose intentions we couldn't comprehend. We were no longer the carefree explorers soaking in the beauty of the wilderness. We had become the intruders in a world that didn't belong to us. Our adventure had morphed into a chilling game of hide-and-seek, with the stakes higher than we had ever imagined. We were caught in a narrative beyond our control, trapped in a wilderness that was slowly revealing its darker side, and the only thing certain was our growing uncertainty. The sixth day dawned with a heavy, unsettling quiet. The chirping of the birds seemed muffled, the sunlight strained through the dense foliage appeared dull, and the forest felt less inviting, more foreboding. Sarah and I decided to use the daylight to find answers. With a shared sense of apprehension, we started our exploration, following the strange footprints that led away from our campsite. The forest, in all its dense beauty, hid its secrets well. The further we went, the more isolated we felt, the silence of the wilderness almost deafening. The footprints led us to a small clearing, the dense trees giving way to a patch of open sky. In the middle of the clearing, a sight awaited us that sent chills down our spines. A large mound of branches and leaves piled haphazardly, resembling a crude shelter. The ground around the shelter was littered with half-eaten fruits and remnants of small animals, the musky odor that we had grown accustomed to, stronger than ever. It was evident that this was the dwelling of our unseen visitor. Sarah approached the structure cautiously, her biologist instincts overriding her fear. She examined the makeshift shelter, noting the sheer strength required to bend and break the branches used in its construction. Whatever built this is strong, intelligent. She trailed off, glancing around nervously. We spent the day documenting our findings. We took photographs, collected samples, and discussed theories. The footprints, the sounds, the shelter. It all pointed towards an entity that was not just an animal, but something more elusive, more complex. Yet, we couldn't shake off a gnawing fear that we were dealing with something far beyond our understanding, something that defied explanation. The pieces of the puzzle didn't fit into any known picture, the reality of our situation becoming more surreal by the minute. As we made our way back to the camp, a disturbing thought struck us. We had discovered the den of the creature, but where was the creature itself? A shiver of unease ran down our spines. We hastened our steps, the shadows of the trees lengthening around us, the wilderness closing in. We returned to our camp just as the sun began to set, the once vibrant colors of twilight now seeming dull and foreboding. The strange calls started earlier that night, echoing around us, almost as if responding to our intrusion into the creature's den. That night, the thin walls of our tent felt more vulnerable than ever. Every gust of wind, every rustling leaf seemed magnified in the darkness. We lay wide awake, our senses heightened, waiting for the inevitable. Our discovery had not brought relief, but an intensified fear, a deeper understanding of the enigma we were dealing with. As the darkness deepened, we clung to each other, drawing comfort from our shared apprehension. Our expedition had taken us to the heart of a mystery that was slowly turning into a nightmare. We were trapped in the wilderness with an entity that was as fascinating as it was terrifying, our fascination giving way to a fear that gnawed at our sanity. We were no longer just a couple on a camping trip. We were in the middle of a chilling encounter, caught in a confrontation with the unknown, our survival hanging in the balance. On the seventh day, our fears took a tangible form. The day had been surprisingly quiet. No footprints encircled our camp. No objects were displaced. 
and the air was free from the pungent, musky odor. This uncanny calm put us further on edge, the anticipation of an encounter weighing heavily on our hearts. As the darkness of the night rolled in, so did the familiar sounds, the guttural calls that echoed through the trees, the rustle of leaves, and the crackling of twigs. Tonight they sounded closer than ever before, each reverberating sound causing our hearts to skip a beat. Suddenly there was a rustle near our camp, followed by a low growl that seemed to vibrate the very air around us. Sarah and I froze, our eyes wide with terror as we scanned the encroaching darkness. From the shadows emerged a large, looming figure. It stood at the edge of our campsite, partially concealed by the shadows of the trees, its form silhouetted against the faint moonlight. The creature was massive, its stature and bulk unlike anything we had ever seen. It walked on two legs, its posture slightly stooped, the broad shoulders and long arms adding to its intimidating presence. Time seemed to stand still as we stared at the creature, our minds struggling to process what we were witnessing. The creature appeared to study us just as intently, its eyes glowing ominously in the darkness. Its gaze wasn't aggressive, but curious, almost intelligent. There was a raw, primal fear that seized us, a deep-rooted dread that sent adrenaline rushing through our veins. But there was also a strange sense of awe. Here we were, face to face with a creature of legend, a being that existed at the edge of human understanding. For what seemed like an eternity, neither us nor the creature moved. We were frozen in this moment, caught in a standoff with a creature of the unknown. Then slowly, the creature turned and retreated into the shadows, disappearing as silently as it had appeared, leaving us trembling and breathless. The rest of the night was a blur of fear and disbelief. We huddled inside our tent, too afraid to step out, our minds grappling with the reality of our encounter. Every sound outside, every whisper of the wind seemed to herald the return of the creature, keeping us on a knife edge of terror. As the dawn broke, we stepped out of the tent, the remnants of our fear still palpable in the cold morning air. The forest appeared indifferent to our plight, the morning sun illuminating the trees, the birds chirping in blissful ignorance of our terrifying encounter. We were left with more questions than answers. What was this creature? Why was it stalking us? Did it mean us harm? One thing was clear. We had come face to face with an entity that defied explanation, an enigma that straddled the line between human understanding and myth. And as the fear slowly subsided, it was replaced by a sense of profound awe. We were no longer just observers. We had become part of a story that was as old as the wilderness itself. After the encounter, the wilderness took on an even more menacing character. Every leaf, every tree, every shadow seemed to be conspiring against us. The once vibrant beauty of the forest was now tainted with a sense of impending doom. We spent the day in a state of nervous tension, the previous night's experience replaying in our minds. With our food supplies dwindling and the constant fear gnawing at our sanity, we knew we had to make a decision. We could pack up and leave, try to make our way back to civilization. Or we could stay, try to understand the creature that had turned our adventure into a survival challenge. We spent hours deliberating, weighing our options, our judgment clouded by fear and fascination. What tipped the scale was the realization that we were witnessing something extraordinary, something that very few people had experienced. We had inadvertently stumbled upon a mystery that was begging to be unraveled. We decided to stay. We spent the next couple of days attempting to establish a line of communication with the creature. We left fruits at the edge of our camp, 
made non-threatening gestures when we heard it nearby, and tried to imitate the sounds it made. All our efforts were met with silent observations from the shadows. Every night the creature visited our camp, its massive form lurking at the edge of the light. It seemed to be studying us, observing our actions with a keen intelligence that was unnerving. It never attacked, nor did it respond to our attempts at communication. It simply watched. Sleep was a distant memory. Every rustle, every sound sent our hearts racing. The creature's presence cast a long, terrifying shadow over our existence, turning our adventure into a waking nightmare. Despite the fear, there was a grudging respect for the creature. It had shown no signs of aggression, no intent to harm. It seemed to be as curious about us as we were about it. The nights were a test of our courage, the days a desperate attempt to find a way to coexist with the creature. We were living on the edge, caught between the primal fear of the unknown and the scientific curiosity that drove us. We were constantly reminded of our insignificance in the grand scheme of nature. We were intruders in the creature's world, and it was allowing us to stay. Our lives, it seemed, hinged on the creature's tolerance of our presence. The forest, with all its charm and menace, had become our home, and the creature, our uninvited guest. Our lives had taken a surreal turn, our existence dominated by a being that defied all understanding. We were living under the shadow of the creature, a shadow that was as terrifying as it was fascinating. As we prepared for another night of fearful anticipation, we couldn't shake off a peculiar feeling. We were living a story that was as old as humanity itself, a story of our confrontation with the unknown. And in that story, we were not just spectators, we were the protagonists. As days turned into nights and nights into days, a strange sense of routine fell over our life in the wilderness. The creature, our nightly visitor, continued to observe us from the shadows, its presence both unnerving and oddly comforting. One evening, in a move that took us by surprise, the creature approached the pile of fruits we had left out. We watched from our tent, holding our breath as it bent down and picked up an apple. It examined the fruit carefully, turning it around in its large hand before taking a bite. The sight was surreal, the reality of the moment leaving us both in awe. Over the following days, the creature began interacting more with the items we left out. It seemed curious, eager to understand the strange objects that populated its world. Encouraged by these interactions, we began leaving out more items, things like a compass, a flashlight, even a sketchbook and pencil. The creature's reactions were fascinating to watch. It was particularly intrigued by the flashlight, turning it on and off, seemingly captivated by the beam of light. One day, I decided to take a risk. As the creature was engaged with the flashlight, I slowly emerged from the tent, my hands raised in a gesture of peace. The creature paused, its eyes locking onto mine. My heart pounded in my chest as I took a step forward. To my relief, it didn't retreat. Instead, it seemed to acknowledge my approach, its gaze never leaving mine. Over the next few days, Sarah and I took turns approaching the creature. It appeared to understand that we meant no harm, and even started showing signs of what seemed like trust. The nights were no longer filled with dread but anticipation. The creature no longer remained in the shadows, but began visiting our camp in the faint moonlight. Its curiosity was evident, and our fear was slowly replaced by a sense of camaraderie. We were living with a legend, sharing our lives with a creature that the world knew little about. Our interactions were cautious but increasingly frequent. The creature observed us, 
and we observed it, an unspoken understanding bridging the gap between us. On the ninth day of our encounter, I managed to achieve what seemed impossible a few days ago. As the creature was examining a sketchbook, I approached it and extended my hand. It paused, looking from my hand to my face. There was a moment of hesitation, then slowly, it extended its own hand, its fingers brushing against mine. The moment was electrifying, a culmination of our efforts to bridge the gap between our worlds. I felt a connection, a sense of mutual understanding that defied words. I was touching a legend, sharing a moment with a creature that was as complex as it was misunderstood. We had broken the barriers, initiated a line of communication that was based on trust and respect. We were no longer just observers. We had become a part of the creature's world. The fear that had once ruled our existence was now replaced by a sense of wonder and curiosity. We were living a tale that was beyond ordinary, sharing our lives with a being that was part of the wild, part of the mystery that makes the wilderness so captivating. We were living the legend of the Bigfoot. After the initial breakthrough, our relationship with the creature, Bigfoot as we had come to accept, evolved. It no longer viewed us with suspicion. Instead, a sense of understanding had begun to form. It was still wary, its instincts keeping it at a distance, but the aggressive posturing had faded. One night, as Bigfoot was drawn to the warmth of our campfire, I extended my hand again. This time it reached out with less hesitation. Its touch was rough, the texture of its hand a stark contrast to mine. Yet, there was a gentleness to it, a carefulness that was almost human. Days flowed into nights and nights into days, each filled with new interactions, new experiences. We observed Bigfoot closely, noting its behavior, its habits, its mannerisms. It was a being of contradiction, both primitive and sophisticated, wild yet gentle. We watched it navigate the wilderness with ease, its interactions with the environment giving us valuable insights into its lifestyle. In return, Bigfoot appeared to grow more comfortable around us. It watched us go about our daily activities, its curious gaze often lingering on our tools and equipment. On occasion, it mimicked our actions, its attempts at human-like behavior both amusing and enlightening. One afternoon we watched as it picked up the sketchbook and pencil we'd left out. It held the pencil awkwardly, glancing at us as if seeking approval. Encouraged, it made a few strokes on the paper. The result was crude but significant. It was an attempt to communicate, to express, to connect. As the days passed, we noticed a strange shift in our dynamic. Bigfoot was no longer the object of our observation. It had become a companion, a friend. The fear had vanished, replaced by a bond that transcended species. Our shared existence in the wilderness was not without challenges. There were days when the weather turned harsh, days when our food supplies ran low, days when we questioned our decision to stay. But through it all, we had Bigfoot. Its presence was a constant source of fascination and comfort. One evening, as we sat around the campfire, Bigfoot approached us. It towered over us, its silhouette outlined against the setting sun. It looked at us, its eyes reflecting the fire's glow. Then, in an unexpected gesture, it extended its hand, placing it on my shoulder. The contact was brief, but it spoke volumes. It was an acknowledgement, a confirmation of our bond. We were no longer intruders in its world. We had become a part of its life, just as it had become a part of ours. As the flames of the campfire flickered, 
casting dancing shadows on our faces. We looked at Bigfoot, our friend in the wilderness. We realized that we had achieved what we had set out to do. We had found Bigfoot, but more importantly, we had found a connection with a being that represented the mysteries of nature. And in the process, we had discovered something about ourselves, our capacity to understand, to adapt, to bond. Our story was no longer just about survival. It was about connection, understanding, and coexistence. It was a tale of the human spirit meeting the wild. Our connection with Bigfoot evolved each day, every interaction reinforcing the bond we shared. We lived, explored, and discovered in the presence of each other. Our fear was replaced by mutual respect, and our survival challenge turned into an adventure of a lifetime. However, as our food supplies dwindled, we were forced to confront a harsh reality. We couldn't stay in the wilderness forever. We had a life beyond the forest, responsibilities we couldn't ignore. Despite the incredible bond we had formed with Bigfoot, we knew we had to return to our world. The decision was heart-wrenching. We were torn between the life we had always known and the extraordinary existence we had found in the wilderness. But we knew we had to leave. As difficult as it was, we had to say goodbye to our friend. The last few days were a blur of preparation and melancholy. We packed our belongings, taking one last look at the campsite that had been our home. We looked around, taking in the beauty of the wilderness, the memories of our time there etched into our hearts. On our last evening, as the sun set, casting an orange glow over the landscape, Bigfoot appeared at our campsite. It stood there, its massive silhouette framed against the setting sun. We could see a sense of understanding in its eyes. It seemed to know that we were leaving. With heavy hearts, we approached Bigfoot. We stood there, facing it, a lump in our throats. We extended our hands towards it, our gestures indicating our impending departure. Bigfoot looked at us, its gaze softening. Then, to our surprise, Bigfoot extended its own hand, placing it gently on ours. It was a silent moment of understanding, a farewell that needed no words. We felt a rush of emotions, sadness, gratitude, and a profound sense of respect. With a final nod, Bigfoot turned around and disappeared into the wilderness. We watched it leave, its figure merging with the shadows of the forest, leaving us with a sense of emptiness and a heart full of memories. We packed up the rest of our belongings and began our trek back, each step echoing with the memories of our time in the wilderness. We carried with us an incredible tale, a story of discovery, connection, and friendship. As we looked back one last time, we felt a pang of longing. We were leaving behind a friend, a part of our lives, but we were taking with us a story that was far from ordinary. We had lived with a legend and shared our existence with a creature that was both terrifying and fascinating. We had formed a bond that defied human comprehension, and in doing so, we had discovered a part of ourselves that was as wild and free as the wilderness itself. The wilderness, once a place of fear and uncertainty, was now a memory of an incredible journey. And in the heart of that wilderness, we had left behind a piece of ourselves. In return, we had brought back a tale of an extraordinary friendship, a tale that we would carry with us for the rest of our lives. Returning to civilization was a stark contrast from the wild, serene stillness of the forest. The bustling city noises and flashing lights seemed harsh, almost foreign, after our prolonged immersion in nature. Our senses had adjusted to the subtle sounds of rustling leaves, the rhythmic songs of birds, and the intermittent yet comforting presence of Bigfoot. 
The days that followed our return were filled with the mundane tasks of reintegration, catching up with work, attending to piled up emails, and resuming our old routines. Yet, amidst this cacophony of our everyday lives, our minds kept wandering back to the heart of the wilderness, back to Bigfoot. We shared our story with our closest friends, who listened with wide-eyed fascination and disbelief. We kept the location of our encounter a secret, wanting to protect our friend from the onslaught of curiosity seekers. The world wasn't ready to accept Bigfoot, not without disrupting its peaceful existence. We owed it that much. We found solace in each other, reliving our experiences through shared memories and quiet conversations. There was a bond between us, a connection that had been forged in the crucible of an extraordinary adventure. It was a bond that wasn't just between two people, but between us and Bigfoot, between us and the mysteries of nature. Even as we got back into the swing of our regular lives, we felt a change within us. We viewed our surroundings differently, with a deeper appreciation for the natural world. Our encounter with Bigfoot had left an indelible impact, imprinting a sense of respect for the mysteries that nature held. Our nights were often spent gazing at the stars, reminiscing about our extraordinary friend. We wondered about Bigfoot, about its solitary existence in the wilderness. Was it looking at the same stars we were? We would never know. But we took comfort in the belief that it was out there, living freely in its world, just as we were in ours. Our adventure had begun with a simple camping trip and had evolved into a life-changing journey. We had set out to explore the wilderness, and instead, we had discovered a legend. We had experienced fear, faced challenges, and forged a unique bond, a bond that spanned species. As we moved forward, we carried with us the lessons we had learned in the heart of the wilderness. Respect for the unknown, the strength of connection, and the extraordinary beauty of nature's mysteries. Our story didn't end with our return. It lived on in our hearts, in our minds, in our shared glances. It was a tale that we would carry with us, a tale that would shape our perspective, our choices, and our understanding of the world. Our encounter with Bigfoot was not just an adventure. It was a journey of discovery, of understanding, of connection. It was our journey, and it was just the beginning. As we navigated the world, we did so with a newfound sense of purpose and perspective, forever touched by the creature that dwelled in the shadows, forever inspired by our friend in the wilderness.